Good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. Love getting to worship with you. I'm excited to open up God's word with you today. Before we do that, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father God, our hope and our desire today is that you speak to us. You convict us, you shape us, you mold us, you encourage us. And God, in all of it, we pray that the key word is you. That you're the one doing it. You're the one working in our life today. It's not my words or our actions or our plans or our thoughts that we put together, but that, God, you would speak, you would move. And, God, we pray that we would walk out of this place today looking a little bit more like you than we were when we walked in, Father. Thank you for who you are and how you're working in our lives. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, we've been in a series called The Great Questions of Life. We've been kind of looking at some of those key questions that we have to ask ourselves. Last week, we talked about the idea of what do I believe and how our belief system, our worldview is so incredibly important and how there's some worldviews in the world that don't line up with the Bible that seem to kind of infiltrate into our thinking and the way we do things. And today, we're talking about the question of how do I know what's true? How do I know what's really true in life? What's true in my world? Reminds me of a story of a preacher and a priest who are standing out by an old country road at an intersection, and they're holding up a sign that says, The end is near! Turn now! When suddenly, a car comes zooming up to them, slams on their brakes right next to them, rolls down the window and says, Listen, I'm so sick of religious nuts like you out here with your stupid signs. No one cares about your opinion. Why don't you go do something useful with your life? And before they can respond, the window rolls up, the guy goes zooming down the road, About 10 seconds later, they hear the screeching of tires and a splash. And the priest turns to the pastor and says, You know, maybe our sign should just say, Bridge Out. (laughs) See, in our world, we're we're getting to a place where more and more, I think it's harder and harder to, to share truth with people. We're getting to into a world where when we share things that we believe are objectively true... Oftentimes people resist those type of philosophies that, that believe in absolute truth, especially when it comes at the expense of another philosophy. A lot of times people like the idea of relativism, the idea of, okay, okay you have your truth and I have my truth and we'll just kind of live in harmony together. You know, Barna did a, re- a poll recently that showed that around 60% of Americans believe there's no such thing as, as objective truth. Absolute truth, something that is absolutely and totally true. And what's interesting is when they polled teenagers, that number jumped up to around 83%. fact is we live in a world that more and more is rejecting the idea of something being absolutely true, absolute principles in life. And then we have Jesus, who always seems to go against culture, who always seems to step against what we believe. In John 8, he says... If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says a couple things here. First of all, that you can know the truth, which implies that there is truth. And then he implies that the truth will set you free. Because the fact is, the more of God's truth in your life, the more freedom you're going to have. 
The more you can accept truth in your life, the more freedom from chains and bondage you're going to experience. Anyone I've known who's been able to break free from the terrible clutches of addiction has always started, if you've ever gone to a 12-step program, the first step is accepting truth, which is simply, I have a problem. That's a big thing of truth. And the problem is that when you, the longer it takes you to accept that truth, the more you're going to be in bondage. Because the truth will set you free, but denying truth, pushing back against things that are true in your life, is going to end up into a place where you forfeit the truth. You forfeit the benefits and the freedom that truth can provide to you. And you end up in a place that I like to call truth decay. Because I think it's funny. You know, in a place where your understanding of truth starts to decay, and I think we see that in our society. We, we see that so much in our world, because Jesus says that we can know the truth. And the fact is, he's not talking about any truth, he's talking about himself. That he is the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. problem is, as I said before, we live in a world of relativism. In a world of, well, you can't tell me what's true. Don't tell me that my belief system is wrong. Don't tell me that what I believe isn't really true. The, the problem is in life, we can believe whatever we want to be true. But how many of you had an experience in your life where you believed something to be true, and then all of a sudden it came to a moment where that truth had to be tested, and the results weren't so good? Anybody ever been there? I knew a place where you're like, oh yeah, I believe this is going to work. This is definitely right. And then it happens, and you're like, that wasn't right at all. You know, I had a kind of an embarrassing moment a few years back. I, 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 uh, my father passed away suddenly. And in the process of all the, the healing and the working through everything, one of the really healing moments for me was the moment where I, I went and I took his gun collection home with me. It was just a big deal because he had he just loved his guns, and it was such a thing where all my memories from growing up were about that. And so it was it was an incredibly healing moment for me as I had this adult Easter egg hunt throughout the house because my dad was a bit of a redneck. So everywhere there was a high space, he's about my height. I'm reaching up, going, "Oh, look another gun!" Like it was it was like the world's greatest Easter egg hunt. But I get all the guns home, and I'm going through this moment. Where I'm, you know, checking all the guns and I'm unloading them and I'm making sure everything's safe and getting them put in the safe. And I have this moment where I have a pistol and I don't know, I guess I maybe was caught up in the moment or, or thinking about my father or maybe just being dumb. I'm not sure. But I had this moment where I, I went and I, and I looked down the slide of a pistol and I saw that there was nothing in the chamber. If you know, if you, if you don't know guns, just bear with me here. Basically, I checked to make sure it was unloaded and then, of course, let the slide go and, and, what I didn't, what I believed in that moment was that the gun was definitely unloaded. I believed that to be absolutely true. It was def. I just saw it. Of course, what I didn't know was that the the magazine was loaded, and uh, I just put a round into the chamber. And so, what you normally do in that moment is you check the magazine, let it let the slide go, and then dry fire it. What I did was I go and I dry fire in a safe direction in my basement. The firing was not dry, and neither were my pants. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I firmly believe that this is true. But the hole in my basement floor told me otherwise. That there is a moment in our life where we can say, man, this is true in my life. This is true in my world. My, my worldview is true. This thing is true. But I think we all will reach a moment 
where the trigger gets pulled, where the truth hits the fan, and maybe you realize that it wasn't truth that's actually hitting the fan. That maybe what you believed wasn't actually as true in those tough moments. And in our life and in our world, I think we're starting to see the effects of what happens when our uh, our truth decays, when we don't have true principles and true truth in our world. There's a few things I see. I, I pull these from the Bible, but you can also see these in our world around us. That when we have truth decay, we're going to have immaturity. We're going to have people that don't want to accept responsibility. That's always someone else's fault because if there's no real truth, there's no real objective morals to, to stand on, then who are you to say what I did was wrong? It's someone else's fault. Do you know what they did? We don't want to take responsibility. In 2 Timothy 3, he says to Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. That sounds immature. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but not denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You know, as a parent of toddlers, I see little glimpses of this in children. I don't any, any parents out there get there? Little moments where, where man, there, there's a little bit of godlessness in every toddler that we're growing and we're helping them mature and look more like Jesus. And there's moments where we help them to not just be seekers of pleasure and not just be those who are trying to take everything they, they want from everyone else. Don't hit, don't bite, don't hurt people. We expect that as they grow up, they look less and less like this. But in a world of truth decay, I think we can get to a place where people don't really grow up. The fact is, maturity is often marked by the difference between understanding right and wrong. Also, another mark of maturity is taking responsibility. Saying, yep, I I made a mistake there. The problem is we get to a place in our world oftentimes where when people are, are faced with what they've done wrong, so often we want to play the blame game. Well, they did this. Well, they did that. Well, my childhood. Well, yeah, sure, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but they should have done that in the first place. Instead of saying, you know what, I, I messed up. Maturity says, listen, I've made a mistake. I've messed up. So in our life, do we tend to pass the buck to others? Do we tw- tend to own what, what it is that we've done wrong? If not, I think we might have a problem with truth decay. Another thing I think we see when we have truth decay in our world is that there will be immorality. I'm not just talking about sexual immorality, but overall an I- this ideology, this mindset of immorality. This attitude that I can do whatever I want, that I can make whatever choices I want, that it doesn't matter what anyone else says, it doesn't matter what God says, I'll just do whatever I want to. Ephesians 4.19 says they don't care anymore about right and wrong. They've given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. See, what we see in our world when we have less and less truth is a world that will more and more push against the consequences of stepping over truth. When we do something wrong over and over again, it becomes easier and easier to do it. 
And suddenly that voice in the back of our heads, our conscience becomes numb, which then in turn will be replaced by a voice that says, no, it's okay. Just keep doing it. Just make whatever choices you want to make. Do what makes you happy. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 that a fool makes fun of guilt. You know, the thing is, I've often heard people say things about the Bible, about God's Word, and say, well, the world has changed. That's not as relevant anymore. But one of the things I'm always cognizant of is the fact that, yes, the world is always changing. But oftentimes I see it changing going away from God, going away from truth. And the more that we live in this world, I think we'll start to see that there's less and less of God's light in the world. One of the things I notice about our world is that there has always been darkness and there has always been light. But one of the things I think our society is really, really good at is installing a dimmer switch. You know, like we, have, we still have some light on. There's still some light in here. But it isn't the full light. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I don't think he meant that he came to be a dim light, but to be a bright one. For us to be a city on the hill, for us to stand out. So often I see with Christians, they have just enough of the dimmer switch on. There's a a little bit of Jesus' light in there. There's a little bit of Jesus' light everywhere. God's the maker of the world. So I I go out in nature and I can see the light of God. But what we're called to be as Christians is people who stand out, who shine bright in the midst of darkness. And we can't do that if we're not standing on God's truth. Another thing we'll see in the midst of truth decay is idolatry. Romans 1.25 says that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, idolatry is not just having a little statue, maybe a little Buddha or something on your mantle. Idolatry is any time we put something above God. In my life, idolatry can be my kids, my house, my car. Maybe instead of an iPhone, I have an idol in my pocket. Whatever, anything that I put above God is an idol, which is why God is so clear in the Ten Commandments making that the first one, because any time we have something above God, we get to a place where we can't truly worship God. If there's something else, if we worship our own opinions, if we, if we worship our own worldview, we're going to get to a point where we can't truly have a relationship with God because there's already something put on the throne of our hearts. Finally, something when we have truth decay is that we're going to have injustice. The Bible calls for us to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. But so often, I think, our world can be described the way that Isaiah 59 describes his world. He says, Our courts oppose people who are righteous. Justice is nowhere to be found. Truth falls dead in the street, and fairness has been outlawed. One of the things I notice that when we have less and less objective truth in our world, we get to a place where rather than having principles, we just kind of have opinions. Like, like, so often I'll see where people will kind of have their little camps. Maybe it's a political camp, maybe it's a societal camp. They're, they're a little group, right? And they kind of go with whatever the opinion of the group is. So they, they no longer have an objective, like, this is true, this is the principle we stand on. 
but instead you see different versions of it depending on what's happening in the world. Like if we say, well, listen, innocent life should be, should be protected. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see some camps that are over here. Well, yeah, it should be. But then when this situation happens, we say, well, you know, that's, you know, just, just kind of collateral damage. That's how drone strikes work, you know, as long as they're not happening in our country. Or then on the other end, we go, oh, that's just a clump of cells. Who cares? You know, it's not really a whole life. See, so often, rather than having principles that we say this is truth, we end up just having an opinion and we just kind of go with whatever this side over here says or this side over here says. And one of the things I've noticed in my life is that the more I follow Jesus, the less I can be defined by a side. Rather than being an elephant person or a donkey person, I'm a lamb person. Which means there's times where I kind of can agree, man, this side over here, yeah, I, I, I see your point. And this side over here, yeah, I see your point, because ultimately, my point is Jesus, and that's who I'm following. The more I follow Him, the more I'm going to find that I run in a lane of my own, or a lane of His own, should I say. The more I follow Him, the more my ideas of justice are going to be shaped by what God has said in His Word, and how His Holy Spirit convicts me and breaks my heart for people. There there should never be a point where I kind of go, well, these people deserve justice, and this group over here doesn't because of whatever my ideology at the time is. My job is to listen to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to break my heart for what breaks His. So today, I want to ask the question, now that we've talked about what it means to not have truth in our life, how do we have truth? How do we find truth? And I want to look at a couple different things here. The first one is this. I think it's so important that we explore the world. That we look around. I mean, how many of you have recently been outside and just looked at all the trees as they're changing colors? I was driving yesterday morning, and I'm just like, wow, this is beautiful. Have you ever been out in nature and just thought, wow, how, how could this possibly have come about by random chance? This is so incredible. All the amazing things that we see in nature. The Bible actually says in Romans 1, That since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So, we are without excuse. You know, scientists have found, at least estimated, that we have probably gathered, as far as information about the universe, somewhere around like, one billionth of a percent of all the information in the universe, which means of all the stuff that's out there in the universe, we, we probably understand like 99 point, or we don't understand about 99.99999%. Like, it, it's crazy. And, and then when you look at our universe, how much stuff there is, I mean, how vast it is, and just the incredible improbability of the fact that we even have a planet that sustains life is just mind-blowing. It, it's crazy. So the first thing I think we do is we explore the world. We look around at the world around us and start to ask questions. Start to examine the world around us. And the second way I think we find truth is we examine ourselves. We start to ask ourselves, what, what, what do I actually believe is true? And what things are, are important to me? What things am I seeing in my life? Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And the thing is, There's some things, whether we want to admit it or not, 
that are just innate, that we just know, that are just imprinted on our hearts, that if, we're, if, we're not, if we don't have hardened hearts, we just kind of know eventually, yeah, we probably shouldn't do that. Actually, in Romans 2, Paul talks about these types of people. He says that they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciousness are, are also bearing witness. And their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. I mean, if you, if you think about this situation for a moment, imagine that you and I are, are standing out here by Interstate 29. When suddenly, somehow... Out of the ditch walks a 92-year-old lady in a walker. And she's just trying to cross the, cross the interstate by herself. What are you going to do? I will, I'll give you some options. Option A, you can ignore her and let her try. Right? Like that one? Option B, you can stop her and help her get somewhere safe. Option C, you can push her into oncoming traffic. Hey, this is a safe place. If, if, you, that, if that's your option, that's okay. And then option D, you can take bets with your friends on how far she's going to make it. Most of us would say option B, right? We help her. Even when we may make some jokes. We, we know in our hearts what's really right. The question is, when we look at ourselves, when we examine ourselves, what do we find? Do we find our truth or do we find God's word? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, test ourselves to see what's really inside of us. So as we examine our hearts, we start to find some things out about truth, and then next we experiment with evidence. I mean, for instance, if you're trying to get somewhere, you know, this past week I had the uh, incredible privilege of doing something that I've not gotten to do in years. I got to give someone directions. Has anybody actually given someone physical directions in a long time? Like in the last week? Somebody, okay, some of you. All right. I'll tell you what, that's not something that my generation gets to do very often. Because normally it's just, well, here, let me plug into your phone for you. Had someone show up here at the church and go, hey, I'm trying to get to Sioux Falls. It's like, you're not in Sioux Falls. Like, yeah. And, and they had somehow gotten off, off the path and uh, ended up all the way. They were actually at Sioux Falls and somehow ended up all the way up here. And so I got to give them directions. It was really fun for me. You know, if I, if I give someone directions, and then they actually get there, say, hey, go down here, take a right, and they end up there. If I do that for you, what are the chances that you're going to go that way again? The, the only way you're going to know, though, is if you try it and see, does Tim know his way around, or does he not? In reality, there's about a 50-50 chance that you'll get there if you listen to me. But in our world, if we have directions on how to get somewhere... We have to take that route to see how it goes for us. In Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Matthew 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. That's one of the best ways to find truth, is to try it. See what happens, but of course, it has to be something that we really try, that we actually give our life to. I mean, for instance, I, I was talking here a couple years ago with some bodybuilders, like actual legit bodybuilders. They're talking about working out, and I, I for some reason, just mentioned, I, I said, you know, I, I was kind of working out here a while back. I just kind of got discouraged because I wasn't seeing results. 
And they said, well, how long did you uh, work out for? And I said, oh, I was like two, three weeks. You know what their reaction was? They laughed at me. Like hard. Like, <laughs> two, three weeks? I can't do anything because they're way bigger than me. So I was just like, I don't know. I mean, that seemed like a good amount of time. But you know, I, I see the same thing spiritually where people are like, yeah, I went to church a couple times. Yeah, it didn't really work for me. See, I mentioned a moment ago the idea of experimenting. And if you look at the scientific method, how research is done, how science is done, there's a couple of things that have to happen. First of all, you have to have long enough for the experiment to, to work, right? You have to have a certain amount of time. But then second of all, you have to make sure there's no contamination. Like you actually have to have an environment where the experiment can happen and nothing else is contaminating. And a lot of times what we can end up doing is we get into a place where we try out, man, tried Christianity, tried it out, tried that following Jesus thing. But the reality was you put just a drop of church going or a couple Bible verses into the ocean and it got flooded out by all this other stuff. The Bible actually talks about that, about seeds being cast into, into soil that has weeds and being choked out. What God's trying to do being stopped in your life. Romans 12.2 tells us not to conform to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what's God, what God's will, truth, is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, you know, in the Bible, Jesus is referred to as the good what? Good shepherd, right? And the implication there is we are the sheep. Has anybody ever taken care of sheep before? What I've come to realize is that that was not a compliment. I mean, when you, when you grow up, it's, it's like you kind of look at, yeah, I'm, you know, I am Jesus, little lamb. Ever glad at heart I am. Right? It's a beautiful thing. Oh, I'm the little lamb and Jesus is the shepherd. And you hang out with sheep and you're like, oh, yeah, sheep are stupid. Sheep are dumb. I don't know if you've ever seen the video. That I, there's one on the internet I love where the sheep gets pulled out of this trench and the farmer just pulls them out. The sheep takes two hops and dies back in the same trench. Or in, in, in Turkey a few years back, there were 1,500 sheep who ended up going off a cliff because one sheep stepped off and the rest followed. This is a real story. And what's crazy about it is that only 450 of the sheep died because so many sheep had fallen to their deaths, they were cushioning the fall for everyone coming behind them. So literally, they're, they're looking over the edge about to jump and they can see all of this cushioning that is them. I think the same thing happens in our world. We get into a place where we start to follow the leader and then falling and falling and falling. And we start justifying it. No, no. Only 450 people have died. So obviously it's not that bad. Max Licato writes, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. You cannot hear the Spirit if you are listening to them. And he says, You can't soar like an eagle if you're running with dumb sheep. See, the thing is, in our world, we have to ask ourselves, as we experiment with truth, when we seek to taste and see that the Lord is good, are we truly tasting and seeing, or are we just sprinkling a little bit onto our cornflakes? Or are we truly experimenting? Are we truly taking in God? Are we taking in His Word? Are we truly seeking to put Him first in our life? Because that's how we see truth 
happen. And finally, as we experiment, then I think the most important thing is that we experience. That we experience Jesus. See, I found that the proof, the, the truth that I found the most in my life is when I'm walking close to Jesus. The more that I walk close to Him, the more of His truth comes in my life and, and the more that I see His power showing up. And in one of the most famed verses in the Bible, Jesus says in John 14, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You notice Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, by a religion, you'll find truth. By a belief system, you'll find truth. By a political party, you'll find truth. By a good book, you'll find truth. He says, by me. By experiencing Jesus is how we find truth in our life. And sometimes people can read that and they go, well, great. And if I lived in the time of Jesus, that would have been nice. Just to sit down with him and talk with him. But I don't see him anywhere. So how in the world am I going to be able to experience truth, experience this amazing power that you speak of? And what's so cool about our God is not only did Jesus come down to die for our sins, which would have been enough. If he had just come down and said, listen, your sins, if you accept my forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. That would be great. Thank you. And he said, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll be back. That, that'd be fine. But Jesus didn't do that. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will send you a comforter in the Holy Spirit. I'll send you an advocate in the Holy Spirit. He says in John 16, that when the Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The ultimate source of truth, the ultimate source of power in our life as Christians is the Holy Spirit. Bibles all throughout the New Testament we see walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Walk by God's Holy Spirit. Because when we walk by the Spirit, that's when our brains start to change. That's when our Ideas of truth start to change. That's when our whole world starts to change. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes, To be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as people who reject truth, but as people who want truth in their life. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has always been a verse that kind of sounds funny. Because we talk about the Holy Spirit and walking by the Spirit. It, it, It feels like, yeah, it's a very church thing to do. Very Jesus follower thing to do. And he contrasts it, or almost seems to make a replacement product. He says, listen, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes when I read that growing up, I'd be like, maybe I haven't been filled with the Spirit, but I've never felt like that was a replacement product. Like that that doesn't seem like, oh yeah, no, don't worry about getting drunk. Yeah, this, this Holy Spirit thing, woo! 
fact is, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, it, it, it is incredible. It is amazing. But what I have found in my life is that everything that I see people try to fill with drugs, alcohol, anything that numbs us, I can see given in the fruits of the Spirit. The joy, peace, kindness, love. See, what I see in our world is so often we're trying to numb ourselves, trying to chemically induce things that the Holy Spirit wants to give us by His presence in our life. So rather than trying to numb, we can actually become Become like Jesus. We can become people who have love, peace, joy, patience, long-suffering. We can be the people that God has called us to be. And so for each of us, my, my hope and my call for us today is that we would be a people who are truly seeking God, seeking His Holy Spirit, seeking that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in all things, that we wouldn't be walking by our own ideas, but that we'd be seeking Him in each and every moment. And the, the first place that starts is with our prayer life. Coming to God each day and saying, God, I need you today. Holy Spirit, I need you today. I need your wisdom. I need, I need you to speak into my life because I can't do this on my own. And as we then grow in that, we get to become people who find ourselves saying things we never thought we would have said. Spouting wisdom in moments. Ha- having things come out of us in moments we never would have thought would have come out. That's the Holy Spirit. As I close today, I just want to encourage us on this. That if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to keep seeking Him in everything. But maybe if you're someone who's never started a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're someone who you, you look at your life and you say, well, you know, I, I've done the church thing. I, I, I've been around the church before. I've maybe read the Word a couple times, but I feel like I've never really experienced this like moment where God has everything in my life. I feel like so much of the truth that I have in my world is based on what I think, what other people think. I don't know if I'm really walking by God's truth for my life. I want to encourage you to make today the day that you choose to become a fully committed follower of Jesus. If you join me, let's bow our heads as we say, Father, we just pray that for anyone in this place today who's never started a relationship with you, or maybe they, they kind of have a relationship, but they've never really made you number one. God, I pray that this is the moment where they repent of anything that doesn't look like you and give it all to you, saying, God, I want you to have everything. And God, for all of us in this room today, our hope and our prayer is that we would stand on truth, stand on your principles, stand on your word, and we'd be a, be a people who are truly changed by the Holy Spirit. That, that we wouldn't be a people who are simply following an ideology, but that, God, your, your Spirit would change our hearts as your Word promises. That, God, if there's anything in this world that should be breaking our hearts, whether it's the lost people around us or those who are hurting and broken around us, God, if there's anything that isn't breaking our hearts that should be, would you break it now? Would you help us to see people the way that you see people? Help us to be a people who are truly a light shining on a hill. That we'd be a people who are different, that truly have the love of Jesus pouring out of us to each and every person we meet. Help us not just to be people who go to church, but help us to be small carbon copies of Jesus. 
Help us to have more and more of you pouring out of us that the world takes notice and wants to know you. God, you are awesome and amazing and incredible and you're worthy of all the worship and the honor and the glory and the praise and we just seek to give you some of that right now. In your name we pray. Amen.